So the topic that we've chosen to talk about maybe not the most pleasant thing, but a necessary thing. And I'm excited about where we are as a church. I'm excited. We, you know, we've spent the last year, Brother Sean's been teaching on leadership, and I'm excited about that and the opportunities that that presents for this congregation. We've set some goals for the congregation, chiefly to bring in three new families a year. And I know that there are many of you that are ongoing with studies and, and working with people to bring them into the church. It's an exciting time for the church. What's the one thing that can derail the excitement and the progress and everything that's been made in this congregation? It's dysfunction. Dysfunction can derail it all. Dysfunction can cause it to not work the way that it should. And so that's what I want to discuss with you. In 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 18, it says, But now if God set the members, every one of them in the body as it had pleased Him. The context of this verse, he talks about the church and being a, a body. And all the parts of the body, the head and the eyes and the ears and the feet and the arms and the legs and all the parts of their body that they have their job and they have their function. All those things working together produce a body that's functional, that does what it's supposed to do. But when one of those members, just one of those members, does not do its job, does not do what it's supposed to do, then you have dysfunction. The body doesn't work like it's supposed to work. And can a body learn to cope? Yeah, a body can learn to cope. A body that loses a leg can learn to function. Many people have, and they amaze us at how well they function sometimes when they're missing an arm or a leg or an eye or an ear. But they don't function as well as they could, as a whole, if every member of the body was doing its job. Dysfunction means an abnormality or impairment in the function of a specified bodily organ or system. Just something not working as it should. Something not working right. Something not doing its job. Contrast that with functionality that's the quality of being suited to serve a purpose well and practically. And so the first question is are you a functional member of this congregation? And I hope as we go through this study, you can answer that question. And we'll give you some verses to help you to answer that question. Are you a functional member? Because 1 Corinthians 14 and 33 says, God's not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. A church that works functionally produces edification. A church that works dysfunctionally is, produces confusion, doesn't it? The purpose of the church. Brother Sean likes to say that the purpose of the church is to, to reach the lost and to keep the saved. And that's pretty simple. That's, that's really the mission, the purpose of the church. And to keep the, to keep the saved and to reach the lost, we say that the, the church is involved in evangelism, it's involved in edification, it's involved in benevolence, and it's involved in, in being visible, knowing that it's a place for people to come, knowing it's a place that sinners can come and seek the salvation of the Lord and find forgiveness and find help and strength from the membership. Those four things together encapsulate the idea of reaching the lost and keeping the saved. That's the function of the church. A church that doesn't function does not fulfill those purposes. A church that does not function does not reach out to the lost. A church that does not function does not keep those that are saved and edify those that are saved. A church that is dysfunctional can't serve its purposes. 
A gentleman named uh, Patrick Lencioni has written a book called Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And, and you may be familiar with that book. I don't know. If you're not, it's, it's a good book. It's, it's pretty simple and easy to read. And of course, I don't base a whole lot on the books that, that mankind writes. I'm going to trust in the Word of God. But as I read that book, I thought these things are based on biblical principles. And I don't know if the author realized it or not as he wrote that book, but these are very biblical kinds of ideas that he talked about when teams become dysfunctional and when teams don't work. And I want to share those ideas with you for just a few minutes this afternoon. The first dysfunction is an absence of trust. An absence of trust. And so I want to ask you the question, do you trust your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you trust them? Do you trust them to do their job? Do you trust them to help you if you need help? You see, when this dysfunction manifests itself, people stop being vulnerable to one another. People stop telling others about their weaknesses. People stop sharing when they're struggling. And they put on a false... Uh, a false aura about themselves that everything's just fine. Everything's just fine. I want to tell you, I've been at places in my life where I've put on that show that everything's just fine. And I've been struggling. And I say everything's just fine. Why is that? I never thought it was because I didn't trust everybody else. But you know, I guess everybody's a little bit afraid of judgment. And so we don't open up and we don't share when we're struggling. And I'm afraid that's a problem. This is the baseline of a functional team is that we have trust of one another. And when we have a sin problem or a struggle in our life, that we'll tell somebody else about it and say, I need some help. The body is supposed to function together to help one another, to strengthen one another. And when we don't trust one another enough to open up and tell each other that we're struggling then the team becomes dysfunctional. Productivity is stifled. We don't give good feedback. We don't share with one another when things are not right and when we need to make adjustments and changes in our life. James 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that works? Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed? I believe it works. So why ain't I confessing my faults to you? You believe that works, so why aren't you confessing your faults to me? I'll tell you why it's hard. Pride gets in the way. We're afraid to admit when we're struggling. We're afraid to tell people when we have faults in our life and we don't trust one another. And I'm going to tell you something. I've been to a particular congregation and I've probably preached at that particular congregation maybe ten times over the years. Not something that I do often or regularly, but probably ten times over the years. I think eight of those ten times somebody's come forward and confess their faults. They didn't do that because I'm a superstar preacher. They didn't do that because the kind of message that I shared. They did that because they were vulnerable and they would open up and they were not scared to say, I'm struggling, I need help. 
we got to be willing to open up to one another. We've got to be willing to trust one another. And we've got to be willing to know judgment is not going to happen. When you come forward, we're not going to judge you. We're not going to say, what did they do this time? What did they do that time? We're going to pray. Because prayer heals. And that's what God said to do. We've got to trust. Dysfunctional teams don't trust. Functional teams trust completely that we're here for each other and we're going to help each other. The second thing is a fear of conflict. And that might seem a, a little strange in the church setting. We are afraid of conflict, aren't we? I don't like conflict. I don't like to have to be in the midst of conflict or handle conflict. But conflict between people happens all the time. Happens all the time. And if it's handled properly and correctly, it's a healthy thing. And so we need to not be afraid of conflict. And I'll put it in, in these terms. In Luke 17 and 3, it says, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. That's what not being afraid of conflict looks like. When's the last time you rebuked your brother or sister? <laughs> We're scared to do that. We're scared to do that. I don't want to tell somebody they're doing wrong because I'm doing wrong. Yeah, I am. I am. You are, sure. But we've got to help one another out. We've got to point one another in the right direction. We can't be afraid of those things. If we're afraid of those things, the church as a whole becomes dysfunctional and people start just going about and doing things that are wrong and they're never rebuked and they're never charged to try better or do different. The second part of that says if they repent, forgive them. Don't hold it against them. Don't say forever and ever I'm going to hold this against you and hold a grudge against you. That's how the Bible says to handle conflict. Rebuke them and forgive them. That's what we're supposed to do. Ecclesiastes 7 and 5 says it's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Now, when we're rebuked, we've got to remember that too. We've got to remember that. These folks aren't trying to take a dig at us. These folks aren't trying to hurt us. They're helping us. They love us. They want to point us in the right direction. They want to make sure that we get to heaven. That's what rebuke is about. Keeping us pointed on the straight and narrow. That's what biblical, healthy conflict looks like. Yeah, it's a conflict. Because I have to approach you and I have to tell you you need to change in this area. Or you have to approach me and tell me I need to change in this area. But that's healthy, biblical conflict. In Matthew 18 and verse 15, it says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. You know what that doesn't say? That doesn't say avoid your brother and go tell four or five of your closest friends about what they did to you. Sound familiar? That's what... That's what we do. That's what people do, especially outside the church. That's what people do. When we're commanded the direct opposite. Don't be a busybody. Don't go talk about people behind their back. It says go to them and sit down and tell them what they've done to you and why you're upset. And if they repent, hallelujah, you've gained your brother. The next verse says that if they don't want to hear that, 
then you take two or three people with you and you go see them again. It doesn't say go tell two or three different people what your brother's done to you. It says go get two or three more and go sit down with your brother and talk it out. Talk about it. Healthy conflict. But we're just scared to death of it. We'd rather go tell everybody else what our brother has done to us or our sister has done to us. Don't go tell them. Don't want them to know we've even said the words. Now, I don't want them to know. I don't want them to know I'm mad, but I am. And i got to tell somebody. Shame on us for that. Go tell your brother or sister. Follow the word of the God. And finally, it says, take it to the whole church. If they still won't hear, if they still won't repent, then take it to the whole church. But don't keep it secret from them. They've got to know. Nine times out of ten, they don't know they've done anything to you anyway. They don't know you're upset. They don't know they've trespassed against you. And so you've got to tell them. You've got to take it to them. Number three is a lack of commitment. Teams are dysfunctional when the members of the team fail to be committed to the cause. They miss out on opportunities. Things are delayed. Distractions occur. We don't get things done that, that we thought we were about to get done because we're not committed. I'm going to go back to the goals that we set. and We studied about goals and we've talked about goals several times and they're going to continue to talk about those things. I love goals. Goals are wonderful. But you know what? Goals are useless if we're not committed to the goal. It's just words on paper. Nothing more than words on paper. If we're not really committed to the goal. When we say we want three new families in the church over the course of the year, are you committed to that? Are you talking to people that maybe might want to come to church? That maybe might want to study with you? Are you taking that seriously? When we talk about fellowship and increasing opportunities of fellowship, are you serious about that? Are you engaging in that? When we have opportunities for that, are you taking advantage of it? When we talk about private studies and the need to increase in knowledge and skill with the Word of God, are you engaging in those opportunities and taking advantage of that? When we talk about the need to increase our support for evangelism, do you talk about it at home? Could you increase your, your weekly giving? Could you do that? Are you committed to that cause? Have you even talked about it? Have you even thought about it? How committed are you? Acts 2 and verse 42 says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. The people in the early days of the church were committed, fully and totally committed. Steadfastly they continued. They did that in doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and prayer. Colossians 1 and verse 29 says, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to His working which worketh in me mightily. Paul said it's a labor. And he said, I'm striving. I'm committed. Fully committed. In the 37th Psalm in verse 5, it says, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Commit. We've had lessons on commitment. Brother Britt talked about commitment. We've had many teachings about the necessity of being committed to the cause. Is this cause worth your time? Is it worth your money? Is it worth your effort? Are you committed to it? Will you sacrifice other things in order to serve it, in order to see those goals come to fruition and pass? 
we've got to be uh, take a hard look at ourselves and think about our level of commitment. The fourth thing is an absence of accountability. And again, at first glance, maybe that seems like it's funny to talk about in church. We know we're accountable. We know God's going to hold us accountable. He just is. That's just a fact of the matter. Someday we'll answer for everything. And we'll be held to account. We'll look at that verse in a minute. But when there's a lack of accountability towards the accomplishments of those goals, that's really what I'm talking about here. When there's a lack of accountability towards the accomplishment of the purpose of the church, to, to seek the lost and to save the lost and to keep the saved, when there's, when there's a lack of accountability to that, we just settle in to mediocrity. We just settle in to the, to the old routine and showing up and going home and showing up and going home. And that's dysfunction. That's not what God wanted a church to be like. That's not what God wanted His body to operate like. He wanted it all clicking together in all cylinders. And when the hand doesn't work, the brain's sending some kind of message to the hand saying, do something. I'm telling you to do something. And hopefully it kicks in. If it doesn't, something's wrong. we got a problem. We do not want lukewarm to become the normal. And that's what an absence of accountability does. Who's responsible for accountability? In Galatians 6 and verse 1, it says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Who's supposed to hold each other accountable? You're supposed to hold me accountable. And I'm supposed to hold you accountable. And that goes back to that fear of conflict and that rebuke and all that. It's kind of associated with, with each other. But if a man be overtaken in a fault, if you're spiritual, restore that person. Hold them accountable to the standard of the, of the Word of God. Make sure that they're following as they should be following. And if they're not, straighten them out. Help them walk right. And when we're straightened out and we're told to walk right, we need to accept that. We need to accept that as people that love us and want us to change and want us to do right. You know, Paul wasn't just blurting out words here to the Galatians. He wasn't saying anything that he hadn't already done. In Galatians 2 and verse 11, he said, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Peter was to be blamed. What had Peter done? Peter had went and preached that the word should be shared with the Gentiles. He had even went to the house of Cornelius and by Peter's mouth the Gentiles received the word of God. And then the, some Gentiles came to Peter and these other Jews were over there and Peter walked away and he wouldn't eat with those Gentiles. He was wrong. He was wrong for that. And Paul told him about it. Paul didn't just let him do it. Paul didn't just let him walk away and not eat with those Gentiles. Paul said, I got up in his face and I told him, Peter, this is wrong. You've got to straighten up. Did Paul do that out of hate? Did Paul do that because he's jealous of Peter? No. Paul did that because he loved Peter. I want you to stop and think just a minute. What if Paul didn't do that? What if Paul hadn't have done that for Peter? Would Peter have became an elder in the church? Would Peter have 
written his epistles? What would, what would have happened? It scares me to think. It scares me to think what might have happened if Paul didn't have the courage to hold his brother accountable. And how many times have you or I not held our brother or sister accountable? We've made excuses for them. We've made excuses for ourselves. That's dysfunction. It's not how the church is supposed to operate. The church is meant to build each other up and to strengthen each other. And sometimes that means that we've got to line each other out. There's times I've, been, I've needed to be lined out and the brother has took me aside and lined me out. And I'm thankful for that. At the time, I wasn't very thankful. I wasn't very happy about it at the time. But as I look back now, what if they wouldn't have done that? Where would I be? What would I be doing now? It'd probably be far different. Far different from where I am today. Romans chapter 14 and verses 11 and 12 says, It's written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Guess what? We're going to give the account. I'd rather give it to you. I'd rather be accountable to you and say, Yeah, I need to change. I need to do some things differently than I would be to never know and be foolish enough to ignore it and think nobody was noticing and get to the day of judgment and God say, now, tell me about this. Why would you do this? And Why would you do that? That's scary. When we can fix it now. Paul helped his brother fix it now. Let's help each other fix it now. The final thing there is uh, in a dysfunctional team and a dysfunctional church is inattention to results. Are we paying attention to the results? Are we paying attention to the goals that have been set and whether we're closer to accomplishing those? Are we paying attention to the overall arching purpose of the church? That being to reach the lost and to keep the saved? Are we reaching the lost? Are there new studies being set up? Are there new people coming into this congregation? Are they staying? Are our old members that have been here for a while staying? Are we paying attention to those results? In Acts 2 and verse 47, it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. The Lord adds to the church. But I want to ask you a question. Does God just willy-nilly add to the church? Does He just say... Today looks like a good day to add to the church. 802 baptisms since, what was that, 2015? End of 2015? As God just willy-nilly said, add them in. Little here, little there, add them in. I don't think so. I don't think so. 1 Corinthians 3 and 6 says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Indeed, God gives increase. Indeed, God has the church. But you know what? As the church people, after the planting and the watering have taken place, are we paying attention to that? Are we getting the results we hope for? Now, I know many, many people that have studied and they went through the study and they got to the end and they were hoping that a soul was going to come to Christ and they just didn't. And that's frustrating. But you've done your job. You've planted and watered. 
I've also known people that were frustrated because nobody else was coming to church, nobody knew was coming in, and they never studied with anybody, and they never talked to anybody, and they never did anything about it. You don't have a right to be frustrated then. You don't have a right to be upset. You only have a right to be disappointed if you do the planning and you do the watering, and then you leave it to God. It's up to God. But let me tell you something. I've never seen a congregation that regularly planted and watered that God wasn't giving some increase to. He's going to give the increase. Trust God that He's going to do His part. Yeah, there's going to be disappointments along the way. And some people just aren't going to hear. Your job is to plant and water. And let God give the increase. But we've got to pay attention to the results. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26 says, How is it then, brethren... When you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. Let all things be done unto edifying. Are we paying attention to the edification of the church? Are you as members of the body, do you feel fed? Is the singing excellent? Is the praying excellent? Is the teaching excellent? Is the communion service giving you what you need, an opportunity to reflect, an opportunity to, to, to get your mind right and focus? That's the results we need to be looking for as a church, as a congregation. And we've got to pay attention to that. If we're just showing up and going home and showing up and going home and not paying attention to the results, and if you're not getting fed and you don't tell anybody you're not getting fed, I've talked to people in other congregations and they said, I, I just don't get fed. Have you told anybody that? Have you told the leadership of that congregation you're not getting fed? Something's wrong if you're not getting fed. But if no one else knows, how do you expect them to feed you? You've got to let somebody know. You've got to pay attention. It's not just elders' responsibility to pay attention to the results although it is their responsibility, but it's not just their responsibility. It's everybody's responsibility. We all have uh, a need to pay attention to the results, to see this congregation grow, to think about the goals that are set and if we're reaching those. And are we doing our part to reach those goals? Are we attaining excellence in all those areas? Again, I put these things up. The purpose of the church we're looking for results in these areas. We're looking for results. So as we start to wrap things up, I want to ask you some hard questions. These are questions that are hard for me and make me take a look deep down inside. But I want to ask you these questions. If everyone took evangelism as seriously as you do, would this building be full? Or would this building be empty? If everybody was just as serious about it as you are, if everybody cared about it, and, and wanted it as bad as you do and was as committed to it as you do or as <laughs> were as committed to it as you are and paid attention to the results of it as much as you do, would it be full or would it be empty? If everybody was as serious about the edification of the body, both publicly and privately, working in public and working in private to see that the body's edified, would people be growing in knowledge and skill? Or would we just be settling into mediocrity and the mundane and whatever? Whatever. If everyone gave 
like you do. Would the hungry be fed? Would the sick be visited? Would the sad be made happy? I'm not talking about this money, but time. If everybody gave of their time and gave of their money and gave of their efforts, were as committed as you, paid attention to the results just as much as you do, how would it be? Would all those things be getting done? If everybody talked about the church out in the community like you do, would people be excited and want to know what's going on there and want to be a part of that? Or would they just think, stay away from that place? Or it doesn't seem to have an effect on them at all. What would it be? If you're a functional team member in this congregation, then you can answer those questions with a surety and know that it would be better off if you're a functional team member. If you're a dysfunctional team member, then you're contributing to the overall dysfunction of the congregation and the overall weakness of the congregation. And I know that's not a fun thing to think about or a fun thing to say, but it's just the truth. So I want you to look at that list and I want you to say, are you a functional team member or not? Do you trust your brothers and sisters? When you've got a fault, when you've got a weakness, are you willing to share it with somebody and ask for their help and ask for their prayers or not? Functional team members trust. Dysfunctional team members do not trust. Do you re rebuke others when needed? Are you willing to accept rebuke when it's offered? That's what functional members do. Are you fully committed to the cause in terms of sacrifice and time, money, effort? Do you hold others accountable in a loving and meek fashion? And do you pay attention to the results? New members, edification at a high level. Those are questions we've got to constantly ask ourselves as members of this congregation and members of the body of Christ. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.